Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We are in a series called uh, Faith, Hope, and Love, looking at the book of 1 Peter. And I'm going to be reading the passage for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Follow along on the screen behind me or in your own Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 20. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows and suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. The word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, As we get started, I want to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. God, I pray for your mercy this morning for each of us on my part to communicate your truth effectively and for all of us to hear from your word and to receive sustenance and life. Have mercy on us, God, and meet us exactly where we're at. We look to you together. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter should take us uh, through to the end of June, and then we'll start our summer series, which I think is going to be really fun. Uh, today, I would like us to think about uh, the word honor. I don't hear it a lot. It's not an oft-used word these days. Uh, But I think it's very biblical, and I think it can be very powerful in our personal and corporate life together. Uh, Let me define the word first. The word honor means to bring glory or credit to someone else. Okay, it's very simple, as simple as that. To bring glory or credit to someone else. Uh, The word glory used in the definition, I think, needs a little bit of uh, defining as well. The word glory uh, in the Bible finds its meaning in the literal word, uh, which means to be heavy. And so when something is glorious, that means that it's got some weight to it. It's got a lot of substance. It's heavy. And uh, we have a word like this in the English language. It's the word Gravitas. When somebody uh, is a weighty person, they have a lot of gravitas. They have a kind of strength uh, to the nature of their presence. 
And so in the biblical sense, when you bring glory to someone, what you're doing is you're displaying their worth or their worthiness. You're displaying uh, what they're all about. And so when we glorify God, we're showing, we're demonstrating, communicating what God is like. And when you honor somebody, uh, you're bringing glory or credit to somebody else. And what Peter, I think, is saying in this passage is that above all else, above any other human being, above your own egos, and above every human institution, through it all, we are called to honor God, to bring glory or credit to God. And what he says is that when we are willing to honor God, when we are able to honor God, it serves as an indication of faith. It shows that we actually believe in God. And we're demonstrating a character, and not just character, but God's character to the world. And as such, another way to say this is, when we honor God, it is a significant means and sign of our salvation. You know, when a Christian says, I'm saved, but they don't honor God, then they are not saved, or they're not demonstrating the reality of their salvation. Because when you are honoring God, what you're saying is, I believe in God. I see God. He's invisible, but I see him. And he sees me. He's real to me. And just as he died for me, I live for him. And so apart from the people that I see, apart from the circumstances all around me, apart from my own self and ego that is ever before me, beyond all of that, First and foremost, I honor God. And so honoring God is a sign of your salvation. And Peter then goes on to say, when you are able to have God be this real to you, and God defines you more than your circumstances, more than whatever is happening around you, then you are truly free. Because you're not defined by the relationship that you're in that you're not happy about. You're not defined by the system that you find yourself birthed in. You're not defined by the organization that you're employed by. Whatever powers or personalities or circumstances are around you, none of these things actually define you. You are free. You're above and beyond. Have you ever met people like that? They have a certain gravitas or a weight to them, no matter what is happening around them, they seem centered and anchored and they're not easily phased and they're not reactive. Somebody who is honoring God is able to find freedom no matter the circumstance, no matter the injustice that they might be experiencing. Um, just a couple of ways to think about this. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind as a story is when I was in middle school and high school, actually starting uh, in elementary school, I started working. And I haven't stopped working ever since. I first started working as a paper boy. And I made a good bit of money actually doing that. Because back in those days, uh, I had to hand deliver every single paper at their door. And 
every other week or so, I had to go around to these very same doors and physically collect cash for the newspapers. And if you present yourself before them, the chances of you getting tipped were way higher than if they're just paying online or, or such. And I remember I collected enough in tips to actually take my immigrant family on our first family vacation uh, to Niagara Falls. I rented the car, uh, got the hotel, and paid for fuel and other costs, went there and came back. And I had enough left over to buy us a Christmas tree, our first uh, real Christmas tree. So it was a, a, a kind of a unique way for me to spend my middle school and high school years. And uh, now when I look back on it, I'm thankful. But when I was going through middle school and high school as a working person, getting up in the morning, early in the morning, and then being driven to my dad's dry cleaning store, and then working at the store before school, and then after school, uh, coming right back to work, and then working at the store, and then going home late after the shop is closed, and then doing my homework, and then going to bed and doing it all over again, all throughout middle school and high school, and all throughout college when I was home. And even in uh, college, I worked. And then I'm still working. Now, I resented my life. I resented this fact about my life. But now I look back and I realize there is a way it saved me. And here's why. Because every time I wanted to do something that my peers were doing, my almost always default answer had to be no. Because I would always have to go to the store. And, you know, my dad didn't want me always at the store. uh, So he was, uh, you know, prone to sort of release me from having to come to work. But almost always I showed up at work. And the reason is I just imagine my dad sort of dealing with three, four customers at a time. He has been doing this all day. He hasn't been able to go to the bathroom at all. He hasn't eaten lunch. He hasn't eaten breakfast. And he's just waiting for his son or one of his other kids to show up so he can catch a little break. This, this scene always played out. It's always this tension. Now, I felt bullied by this at the time. But here's what it did for me. It gave me a physical, real person and a principle to honor apart from my own wishes and whims and social life and social pressure. And so now this has become a life lesson for me. And uh, I talk to my kids about this. I say, please, kids, whatever you do, don't peak early socially. Because if you do, then you're going to be defined by your social life. You are going to have to cave into pressure. There are going to be demands placed on you. I want my kids to find someone and something else to honor besides themselves. And, and the social peer pressure that they're in in our day and age. And I really appreciate that all throughout middle school, high school, and college, my default answer a lot of times had to be no. Because I had a very real, tangible person I had to choose to love and serve. It was about honoring my parents. Now, this carried me through in marriage uh, as well. I realized very early on that if I was going to love my wife because she was lovable... I wasn't going to love her very much, and neither was she going to love me very much. Because really, none of us are very lovable. 
And we can do the uh, tit for tat. We can say, you did this much work, so I got to do this much. We can love each other using math or tracing some subjective line of justice in our marriage. But all the more better if I'm able to love through my wife. If there is a God beyond my wife that I am working to honor. So that my love for my wife or my wife's love for me doesn't depend on our own loveliness. But on the God that made us and has given us each other as stewards. And now this is what I wish for my daughters. That they would marry men that would not just love them for who they are. But for whose they are. That there is a God that they're honoring beyond them. Same thing in fatherhood. Would I be a better dad if I just am left to my own affections and my own dreams and my own wisdom for my kids? My kids don't want that. But thankfully, there is a God that is beyond them, and I'm able to love through my kids to honoring God. When I have God in my life as the one I am honoring It works to help me to be the most loving person uh, to the people that I'm able to love through. Another example is this church. I'm able, I believe, to be a better leader and a better pastor because there is a God beyond just the physical bodies that are present in this church. I answer to God who is with me all the time. He knows every thought I have. He knows every intention of my heart. And I bring myself before him. And that allows me then to want to grow, not just when I'm being watched, not just when I post something on Facebook. I don't get to control how I'm perceived because I'm perceived as I am by God first and foremost and not by people who have limited and subjective access to me. Having a God to honor gives us an anchor point, a horizon, a true north. And when we are able to have this anchor and true north in our life, we can live life that's beyond the circumstances of your relationships, of your culture, of what's normative in society, of the government that you live under of whatever system you're connected to, you're able to be free. Now, the alternative is crushing. The alternative to honoring God is to be enslaved to people and their opinions about you. It's to be subject to the circumstances of your life, for your emotional world to rise up and down based on what's happening in the day to feel the pressures of your life directly without any reprieve, to be defined by your anxiety and the rules of society or the pain you feel emotionally, to live by the math that's always running in your head. Or you can be free from that by honoring God. So I have two points I want to share today. Uh, First, submit yourself. And second, For God's sake. 
I want to tell you that today is Communion Sunday, so I would love to have the 50 minutes that you graciously gave me last time, uh, but I don't have that today. So I'm going to be leaving out uh, big ideas that we really uh, need several sermons to go over in this idea. Uh, there are topics like civil disobedience, uh, which we're not going to get to uh, as much as thoroughly as we should, uh, but we'll have to save that for another day. Uh, but first, uh, submit yourself. Okay, we'll start with verse 13 and 18. Verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now that is just a crazy loaded sentence. Think about this. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every, not some, not the ones you approve of, but to every human institution. You read that and you think, well, Peter must have just been, you know, uh, writing in an exaggerated way. Maybe it's a form of communication. Nope. In the Greek, it's abundantly clear. He's talking explicitly, literally, about every human institution. And so it immediately raises questions in your mind. Every human institution? Really? I can think of very recent examples in the 1900s where institutions uh, were evil. I can think about uh, governments now and powerful groups now who are committing all sorts of atrocities. I can think of marriages and children trapped in horrible home situations. Really, every human institution? And the answer is yes. And I told you, this gets very complicated, and we're not going to get to some of this. Verse 18, in a similar vein, says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Now, this word in verse 18, servants, is actually the word slaves. And that's its own bag of uh, uh, tricks because uh, we, in uh, our century, we don't have the ability to understand this word slaves or slave concept of slavery without importing into this passage our modern-day understanding of slavery. Back then, slavery was very, very different. And it's not something we could just understand without sort of like a three-hour class about it at minimum. So we're not going to go into that either. So there are big chunks we're going to be missing. But I do want you to understand this. This word submit is the Greek word hypotasso. Now the word hypo, you already know what that means, right? It means under. So hypo is under, and then the word tasso means order or place. So it means to place yourself under order. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about a word that I think Peter used uh, exactly intentionally to mean the opposite of this word submit, hypotasso. It was the word epithumia. Now, the word epi, the prefix epi, is the uh, word that means over, and thumia means desire. So here we have in today's passage, hypotasso, place yourself under order, Last, in the last few verses, we had the word over-desire. Now, what happens when you over-desire something? What it means is you are so consumed with this desire. It's an addiction-level thing in your life. 
and you have lost your sense of self, you're no longer in control, your judgment is impaired, and this desire takes you over. It's over desire. You're consumed by it. That is, you are your own master and authority when you are experiencing epithumia. And the word hypotasso is the exact opposite. Rather than being consumed by yourself, you are practicing restraint and you're placing yourself under order. It's primarily a military term, this word hypotasso, and it's used to refer to a lower-ranked officer who is by design subject to a superior-ranking officer. And what Peter is saying here is this. Every human institution, the way the world works, there's only one source of power, and that's God. And he has set up our world to run in a chain of command. And our call, the call that God has on us, is to place ourselves within this chain of command, under order, in place. Now, there's something really uh, powerful and beautiful here you're going to miss if you don't pay attention to it. Verse 13, notice, it doesn't just say submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, This word yourself doesn't exist in the Greek word. It's just the word submit. But the word submit is in the imperative passive voice. What that means is this submission that we are called to do, it's not forced on us externally, But it's an effort made by the self, the one that is doing the submitting. In other words, this word submit, hypotasso, is the word self-submission, which is why the English writers wrote, submit yourselves. Now, it gets really interesting because Peter uses this word several more times. The next time he uses it, he talks about this idea of everything submitting to Christ. Now, I got to tell you, before I study this, I always imagined Jesus being so overwhelmingly powerful that he puts everything under submission through the sheer will of his might and power. That's not what's happening at the end of days. What Peter says is, from the Inside out, every molecule that God made begins to see the revelation of the beauty and the love and the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. And every knee will bow from the inside out. So it's not dominion from the outside in, but it's worship from the inside out. Do you understand? One day, Everyone, every living creature, even the stones, even inanimate objects will come to understand Jesus as Lord. They will come to see his love and hypotasso, submit themselves to the lordship and dominion and the rule and reign of Christ. It's worship, worthship, every single molecule attributing worth to God. 
holy, 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 holy. That's what Peter says. And then, this gets even more interesting, he uses the same word to talk about wives submitting to husbands. Now, husbands love to think about this over the centuries, to talk about their superiority uh, compared to the inferiority of the wives. But that's not what Peter says here in in the text. What he says is, wives from within choose to submit. Not because the man is stronger or better or superior in any way whatsoever. It's not him causing her to submit, but it's her choosing to submit. Where are the amens of the women here? Uh, I'm going to be preaching on this in a few weeks, and it's, we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, and then lastly, Peter uses this word of self-submission to talk about the younger people in the church uh, submitting to those who are older in the church. A self-submission that is respect. Now, this is so important because in this passage, Peter isn't talking about submission as oppression. But you know what's the other word he keeps using in here? It's the word freedom. Submission is only free when it's from within. When there are external personalities and powers and forces trying to control you, trying to define you, but you from the inside out answer to a different master, you're infuriating to those who are trying to dominate you. Because you can't be dominated. They're trying to take away your freedom, and yet you remain free because you respond yes and no to another master. And every time they find that you are obeying them, it's only a happy accident because you're not actually obeying them. You're obeying God. That's what the scriptures call freedom in Christ. You understand that's what freedom is, even in the secular world. You know what slavery really is? You know what oppression is? When you want to do something, but you can't because your will is weak. When you feel something, but your mind isn't in alignment with your heart. When you have the uh, uh, desire to, but you lack the physical ability. When things are broken and you're not in alignment. But when you are able to do the thing that you choose to do from within, the power to do what you believe is right and true and good at all times. That's freedom. And that's what Peter is teaching here. This kind of submission is not an oppressive desire to enslave you or to control you or to diminish you in any way whatsoever. But it's to actually allow you to be more of who you were created to be and not less. Hence, Peter's Um, juxtapositioning of the concept of freedom and submission together. Uh, But really, every institution, well, let's think about that real quickly here. Verse 15 says foolish men. Uh, Verse 18 says those who are unreasonable. This is Peter describing the institutions that he's asking the people to be submissive to. Foolish men. Those who are unreasonable, verse 19, under sorrows when suffering justly, nope, 
unjustly. And then verse 20, he makes it a point to say, you know, I recognize that you are suffering without it being your fault. It's actually their fault. So they're foolish, they're unreasonable, they're unjust, and it's their fault. And yet, I still ask you to submit. And furthermore, the churches, the scattered church, the persecuted church that Peter was writing to was under an incredibly infamous, uh, cruel emperor. Anybody know the name? Nero. Was he known for being a nice guy? No, he was pretty bad. He was pretty bad. Uh, You know those stories you've heard of Christians being fed to lions and such? That was Nero. So writing to a people living under Nero, Peter says, submit to every human institution. Now, first of all, if institutions were agreeable and reasonable and favorable and praiseworthy, then Peter wouldn't have to ask them to submit. That is to say, another way to say it is, if you had the power to take application, that is, you take application and then you have the power to reject them, then you don't have to submit. You're just agreeing with them. Right? If mom asks you to do something, kids, and you do it because you like it, she says, oh, honey, could you go get some more ice cream for yourself? You're not submitting. You've taken application and you agreed. Accept, right? So submission is precisely the right language for Peter to use precisely because these institutions were unreasonable. What he's saying is it's strategic for short-term survival, and he goes later on to explain, and long-term influence. Submission to God Submission to these institutions for the Lord's sake is necessary precisely because the circumstances were so unjust and precisely because the pain was so real. Peter is saying, I want to show you how under these very intolerable circumstances for you to find true freedom in Christ. For God's sake, submit. So in verses 13, we have for the Lord's sake, verse 15, for such is the will of God, verse 16, as bond slaves of God, 19, for the sake of conscience towards God, verse 20, for favor with God. Peter is not writing about human institutions at all, actually. The human institutions just happen to provide a contrast And he goes on to say, don't use your freedom in Christ as a covering for evil. Meaning, if you want to find excuses to behave poorly, these human institutions will give you plenty of reasons to be a jerk yourself. And he's saying, because they are so horrible, I want to show you, I want to teach you not to be a jerk in return. Because you serve a God that is unlike these institutions, but is far more real. So as bond slaves of God, to honor God's will for the Lord's sake, because of your conscience towards God, in order that you might find favor, not with the institution, but with God. 
Really, your business, Peter is saying, is with God and not with human institutions. I want to give you a uh, thought now. We're, gonna, we're working towards a definition of the word submit, but I want to give you a first thought about it. Submission, then, is not rooted natively in human authority or its trustworthiness. Okay, so let's just get that out of the way. God asking you to submit doesn't have anything to do with human authority or the quality of the human authority. They may or may not be good. They may or may not be helpful to your cause. They may or may not be agreeable to you. But submission is in God. It's the fact, based on the fact of God's goodness and his prevailing justice. God is watching. And he cares about you. He knows you by name. And he's keeping record of everything that's happening to you. You have to know this to be able to submit. And this is where I ask the Christian versus non-Christian question. If you don't have a God who is good and whose justice is going to ultimately prevail, how do you survive in this world? Because this world really is so intolerable. How do you not wreak havoc everywhere you go? How do you not start a fight everywhere you go? How are you not an incredibly miserable person? Because everyone and everything is against you all the time. At best, at best, you're scheming with somebody else to oppress other people so you can benefit. At best. Or at worst, you're the one that's being oppressed. That's sort of what's out there. How are you not fighting the system all the time if you don't believe in a God who is good and whose justice and goodness will ultimately prevail? Now, if you're sitting here, you're not a Christian. Just rationally explain the answer to yourself. How do you think about it? Now, think it out. And I'm telling you, If God isn't bearing the sword for you, then you have to unsheath your own sword. It's just the way it goes. It is survival of the fittest unless somebody is providing cover for you. Just think it through. Okay? And so we recognize that all human power then is divine in origin and intent. There is no power No authority that comes, exists apart from God. He is it. He is power. Everybody else is within a chain of command. It's trickled down. All human power is divine in origin and intent. And where it fails, what Christians believe, is God's power will prevail. And based on this truth, Believing that God's power will prevail, we are able then to submit to every human institution. The meaning and value of submission is found only in your trust of a good, powerful, just, all-knowing, promise-keeping God. And apart from this kind of God and your relationship to him, you have no other hope in this world but to unsheath your own sword. Uh, 
the last sermon, I, I had a couple of examples and historical examples that I took cut out. But if you will give me just a few more minutes, I want to uh, try to squeeze it in here. Bruce Winter, writing the book, Seeking the Welfare of the City, talking about the very people that Peter was writing to. He says, this is what Peter's audience was doing in the time of Nero. Okay, listen. Benefactions, they were called, included supplying grain in times of necessity by diverting the grain-carrying ships to the city, forcing down the price of grain by selling it in the market below the asking rate to their own detriment, erecting public buildings or adorning old buildings with marble reverments, such as in Corinth, refurbishing the theater, widening roads, helping the construction of public utilities, going on embassies to gain privileges for the city, and helping in the city in times of civil upheaval. Why did Peter's churches do this? Not for man, but as a way for them to honor God. They were able to love the city in which they found themselves not because the city deserved it, not because the people were worthy of their love and effort, but because of their desire to honor God. In submission to Christ, they honor their city. Now, Jonathan Edwards, a famous revivalist, university president, philosopher, uh, and pastor, uh, best known for uh, um, a sermon that set off a, a chain reaction of revival events in history. By the way, Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon twice. The first time, it didn't take. Like, nobody responded. So then he travels down the road to Connecticut, and he preaches the exact same sermon, which he read. And then a revival broke out. So who knows? It's not always the sermon. So he preaches this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, he provides a theory for our relationship uh, as Christians to public life. And now this is relevant incredibly still today, even though he died over 250 years ago in 1758. He says, the church, as people, we are prone to insularity. And therefore, we are called to partner with Christians and non-Christians alike. We are called simultaneously to support and criticize the government. And we are to understand politics as a stand-in for the coming reign of Christ. No Christian should put their hope in any politics because of our faith in the coming reign of Christ. And he says, allegiance to the holy Catholic church, that is the universal church, it should be above and always above national pride. And as a matter of priority, we ought to care for the poor. All of this, not because we love the government so much, not because we're so attached to the poor, but because it is our primary duty to honor God. So, now we come to a definition of the word submission. Okay? Submission is a willingness, then, to work within a system without necessarily affirming it. Now, this part is so important. You don't have to affirm the system. And you're not affirming the system by your willingness to work within a system, including civil disobedience, which we're not going to get to today. By trusting, how do we do that? By trusting God's prevailing goodness and power. And that's the crux of it right there. By trusting God's prevailing goodness and power, and this is the strategy portion, thus bearing witness to God. That's the glorifying God part. And as we do that, what we are doing is we are making a pathway in society. That's practically speaking, in society and in the human heart for God's kingdom. 
And I want to tell you this. The church, because we are God's children and we are the ones who put our hope ultimately in the coming reign of Christ, we alone have a unique role to play by submitting to every institution. Because when we do that, we are able to work within the system by honoring God and we bear witness to God and we create pathways in society that's practical and in the human heart that's spiritual. Name one other group that can do this. And this is why Peter calls the churches to submit and to honor God. Honoring and submission test and reveal the depth of your character, of your moral compass. And it demonstrates your faith in God. Okay, uh, three really quick application points, and then I'm going to read a passage to you as our closing. The first is be God's will. What becomes evident in this passage and beyond all throughout the book of 1 Peter is that God's will is not primarily rooted in what happens, but in who you become. How you behave is of paramount importance. I know we seek God's will in terms of what should I do. But God wants to know who are you becoming. The integrity of your heart, the shaping of your character is what God is ultimately after. Everything else he might do through you can be accomplished through other people. Not as important to God. Second application point is be on a secret mission. Meaning people cannot quite put their finger on how you operate because you are honoring God. You are answering to a higher authority. Therefore, you're highly unpredictable. You're like an agent on a secret mission receiving instruction in your earpiece. Why did you do that? Why would you do that? How could you do that for me? Well, it's not about you. I'm on a secret mission, you see. And then third application point, Jesus said this, no servant is greater than his master. If you try to be God's will, if you find yourself submitting to every human institution while not necessarily affirming it, and you're honoring God, and you're making pathways in society and in the human heart, you are going to suffer. You will. Jesus said that because he suffered. And you're not greater than him. You too will suffer. And so Peter goes on later to say, why are you surprised by all these fiery trials among you? Didn't you expect this? Jesus suffered. You will too. I want to read to you uh, Psalm 37 as our closing. It says this, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, 
It leads only to evil doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you were perfect and yet you were killed. You submitted yourself to death, even death on a cross. And so, Jesus, we worship you. We want to honor you. We want to submit to you. And I pray that you would form us to be your children and we would have your instructions ever present in our ears. And we will be listening to you and heeding the call on our lives to be conformed to the image of Christ. Father, we look to you together and we submit to you together as we honor one another and uh, all that uh, work that you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.